here's something that is true, that I believe about you, that even though I don't know you, I fundamentally believe. And it is based upon a verse in the Bible. We don't have it up here, but it's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And here's what it says. It says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works prepared beforehand so that we might walk in them. And this is what that means. That means that no matter who you are, where you are, God has created you and he has a customized work of the Holy Spirit for you. There is something God has called you to do and only you can do it. That you have a unique DNA and he's called you to do that. And so today I want to just encourage you to walk in what God is calling you to do. Okay? So let's, let's pray about that. Let's trust the Lord for that. And let's not put any barriers before us because it's not about you. It's what God's called us to do. Amen? Father, in the name of Jesus right now, Lord, we just lift up our lives to you, God. We trust that before the foundation of the world, you placed us where we are, God. We trust, Holy Spirit, that we have been shaped, made, designed for a work to do. Our lives are meaningful, not meaningless, God. You, you, you purpose by design, Jesus. And so, God, today, clarify our calling. Clarify our calling. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And so, in light of that, um, there is in every kind of sport or in uh, an election, there is this thing called being disqualified. And disqualified means that you have gone out of bounds, broken the rules, done something so egregious that you're told you're no longer able to do this given work. And because of the way that we've lived our lives, or because we didn't finish college, or because we didn't live the life we thought we would live, some of us feel disqualified. We feel we've gone out of bounds, that we can no longer be a candidate for God's grace or for a great work of God. And so today, I want us to see what are the qualities, what really makes someone useful in the hands of the maker. We're going to look at someone who believed they were disqualified. His name is Moses. Moses fundamentally believed God can't use me anymore or God will not use me the way I thought I could be used. Now, I'll say this to you real quick. God will outdream you anytime. Okay? So don't think you can outdream God. And being that he loves you and created you, he thinks about your life more than you do and he thinks more of you than you do. All right? So let's look in the Bible, um, the book of Exodus chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. If you have your Bible, I believe it's up on the screen. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and one of his, bro one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So understand, Moses was a, a Jewish kid growing up in an Egyptian home. Uh, he had been adopted by Pharaoh. Pharaoh was essentially his grandfather. Pharaoh's daughter had found him in the Nile River. And so he's growing up a Jewish kid in an Egyptian home, and the Jews are being oppressed by the Egyptians, 400 years of hard labor. And there he is, and his mom was actually in the home of the Pharaoh, raising him up to believe, one day you'll deliver our people. 
One day you're going to be the guy that's going to help set us free from oppression. And so he grows up with this dream and this idea. God's going to use me in a major way. I'm going to be a deliverer. All these hundreds of years of my grandfather and my father's father, all these people will one day, they were waiting for me. I'm going to stand in the gap. And so he has this belief about himself. And so what happens is he comes down and he sees that an Egyptian is beating a Hebrew and he ends up standing in the gap and hitting the Egyptian. The scripture says he looks this way and he looks that way and he did a little dirt and he tried to hide it. And then eventually comes out. It says in verse 13, He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting each other. Now, these are his people. And he says to the offender, the offender means the one that was getting his licks off. He was beating him down. Why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you prince or judge over us? Goes on to say, are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So he hears the music in the background, dun, dun, dun. You know, he's shocked, like, I thought my dirt was covered up. The Mo then Moses was afraid and said, surely the matter has become known. And when Pharaoh, his own grandfather, when Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses, his own grandson. But Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, what happened here? Moses felt like, man, I'm going to go down and I'm going to break up a fight between an Egyptian and a Hebrew. And then he goes the next day and says, I'm going to break up a fight between a Hebrew and a Hebrew. And I feel like I'm going to be this guy that's going to help people out. But he ends up killing someone. His grandfather finds out he's got to run off to Midian. He ends up in Midian for 40 years. Well, here's what we realize. In Acts chapter 7, Verse 23, it says, when Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He just made that decision. Um, he was 40. I, I, I am 41, praise the Lord. Uh, I turned 42 this year. And I don't know if you know this. This might be a surprise. But inside of everyone, there's like this internal shot clock saying you're supposed to be significant now, Right? Like, isn't there this moment or time or year or day or after you graduated or something where you go, uh, I'm supposed to be popping now. Like, my life is supposed to be doing big things. My church is Caribbean, big things. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm supposed to be doing something by now. By now, I should be leading. By now, I should be acting. By now, I should be singing. By now, I should be a mom. By now, I should be a leader. By now, because it's my time. Yeah, this is my time now. I mean, I've got everything qualified to be noticed, to be seen, to be significant. It's my time. Moses had grown up in a house seeing oppression every day. So it wasn't like two weeks before he didn't see Hebrews fighting. But that day he decided it's my time. And it says in Acts chapter 7, verse 22, Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and 
action. Understand this, that where it says he was wise and, and, and like had the wisdom of the Egyptians, that was what they call a colloquialism, a local language, it, meaning that it was a phrase that they would say, like, that guy has it all together, or man, he's got a good mind on him, or that's the kind of guy you want your daughter to date, that kind of thing. It was a phrase people said to say, this is the guy. And it, and it was said that Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Now, what we understand from extra biblical scholars is that most likely he went to a university called the Temple of the Sun, which would be like Oxford or Harvard of that day. And he would have studied sciences and medicine and astronomy and chemistry and theology, philosophy and law. But it was also noted that he not only was a studied man, but he was also a military man that he most likely had conquered the Ethiopians already, leading them in a war and battle. But more than all the education and experience he had, he had a model and a mentor. Every day he came home and he saw Pharaoh. Pharaoh was his grandfather. He saw how Pharaoh led. He saw how Pharaoh was intimidating people, how he pressured people, how everyone went and served Pharaoh. And so every day he's watching Pharaoh. Church, I want you to live out your calling. I want you to do great things. I want you to do exactly what God wants you to do. But I want you to realize, let's learn from Moses. Amen? I think that God exposes biblical characters not so that they can be exposed, but so that we can learn. So let's look at a life exposed and learn from it. Amen? And so in light of that, one, one more thing that's important to know in background. Acts chapter 7, verse 25. Moses, it says, he assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. Moses was like, y'all see me. You know, the Bible says Moses was a good-looking brother, too, so that might have factored in somehow. <laughs> but Moses was like, I'm educated. I look good. I have all these things, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've got, it's all going to work out for me. The way that I see me, you'll see me. You guys will follow me. But they didn't understand what he understood about himself. What are some cautionary tales just in the background? When, in the situations of Moses, Moses had godly motives but he operated with Pharaoh's methods. That means is, is that there are people who actually study the life of Jesus every day, but when they try to do great things, they act like the world. You see, you can have a godly motive, but still operate in the flesh in your methods. And you, you, you believe you're, supposed to, you're called to do something, but you push people. You intimidate people. And that's why, because it, it's not because you don't love God, it's that you've been watching Pharaoh a little bit too long. That's why we need to be careful about who our mentors are. We need to be careful about who we watch. We need, because, because our eye gate, our ear gate, we're taking in someone's manner and their posture. Even though we're praying, even though we're reading, even though we're fasting, the way that we come across may be less like Jesus and more like the devil. Even though he had godly motives, he had Pharaoh's methods. Another thing to keep in mind. It doesn't matter, or rather, um, when God is in it, it flows. 
But when the flesh is in it, it's forced. Church, God is going to lay something on your heart to do one day, and it may take people actually listening to you. And when you face resistance, do not try to punk people into submission and get them to do what you say to do. Look, go back and look to God instead of trying to intimidate men or being overly spiritual and telling people God told you so. And all of a sudden now we have to bow our knees to you. You're, you're going to have to persuade me, praise the Lord. I, I need some facts and some data, right? Because persuasion is one of the things God's going to do in your own spirit. He's going to get you to believe and people are going to follow after what you're saying in your vision. Oh, church, you gotta, you got to get people to follow you, but you, you can't force it. It doesn't matter if God convicted your heart. You'll still have to convince people's minds. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, it says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You must get good at loving people. No matter what God has called you to do, it has to do with loving people. I don't care if you're an introvert, an extrovert, novert, you're your computers, you're task-oriented, you're relational, you're non-relational, you like people, you don't like, I don't, I don't care if you don't like people. You better learn to love them. Because the, all the commands hang off of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. If your job description doesn't fit into those two things, that's not what God called you to do. So at the end of the day, you have to get good with people. All right. So too often, people, when they see themselves as great, they're looking at their gifting. But when God sees you as great, he's looking at humility. Oh, humility. Humility. God is going to humble your heart to use you. And humility can come down two pathways. Either you can be a listener, you can receive rebuke, you can take in what the word of God says, and you're allowing God's word and people to humble you. Or God will have to humiliate you. He'll have to expose you. He'll have to put you out there. You see, you don't want to listen. So he's got to open up your ears. And so this is what happens in Moses' life. He's sent to Midian for 40 years. And for 40 years, he's just a shepherd. He went from believing that he was going to be this dynamic deliverer, this dynamic leader who studied at the temple of the sun, who people said he was a good-looking guy, that he was all-wise, powerful, and in speech and in action, and yet... Now, he's just a shepherd. I do want to move on, but I just want to make a point here. No, did you hear the numbers, the number game there? He was 40 years old, and then he was in the wilderness or in the desert for 40 more years. So he was 80 when his life became really useful. Now, now y'all's church have a little bit more gray hair than my church, praise the Lord, but <laughs> my church is... Maybe it's because my church meets at 4 o'clock, but we have a lot of millennials, praise the Lord, so the average age is 26. So I just want to say this, but this is, this, is important. this is important for anybody here, no matter what your age is. 
somehow we, we got caught into the idea that success should be primarily measured based upon speed. And you look at people who, they just came out the womb and they were incredible and things were amazing and they, they got a YouTube channel and they do all this stuff and they're amazing, oh my gosh. And, they, and their names are everywhere and, you're just, and we're just like, oh my God, I wanna be like them and all this amazing stuff. And what I'm trying to tell you is just because you see them doesn't mean you know them, amen. But the other thing is you don't know what's happening behind the scenes. You want what they have, but you don't know what it took to get what they got. So what I want to encourage you is stop focusing on speed and focus more on character. Let's say that one more time. Focus less on speed. Be careful who you celebrate based upon speed. I'm less concerned about the growth of this, the, 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 the speed growth of this church. I'm more concerned about the character growth of this church. It's just because it's big doesn't mean God's blessing. When I meet with Justin, I want to know how he's doing. I love to hear there's more people. That's great. But it's hard. That's what God's looking at. That's why I'm encouraged by his leadership. Because I see a vulnerability, a transparency, a humility. Humble people can be honest about where they're at. They don't hit you with that like spiritual voodoo, like I'm blessed, I'm good, and that. <laughs> they actually share prayer requests. How, what can I pray for? My grandmother. It's like we've been praying for your grandma for like ten years now. Like, can we pray for something different? And don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. It, grandma needs prayer. She does, and I bless God. But at some point, can we pray about you and where you're at with Jesus? I'll just amen myself on that. <laughs> Felt some awkwardness in the room. There were some like, yeah, there was some like, what? It's all right. Meanwhile, Moses was shepherding the flock of his fa fa father-in-law in, uh, father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame a fire with a burning bush. As Moses looked, he saw that the bush was on fire but was not consumed. So Moses thought, I must go over and look at this remarkable sight. And notice what it says. Why isn't the bush burning up? Now notice this, that the scripture here says, he asked, why isn't the bush burning up? He didn't say, why is the bush burning? And the reason why is because in the desert, when there was a bush with all that heat, consuming all that heat, it would oftentimes get dry, brittle, weary, and weak. And so a bush would be combustible at any point. So you would always see a bush burning. His question wasn't, why is the bush burning? He was like, why isn't it consumed? Why isn't the bush disintegrating at this point? So that's what caught his attention. So he walks over and wants to know what's going on. Well, it says in, in verse four through six, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called out to him from the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, he answered. Do not come closer, he said. Remove the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. 
Then he continued, I am the God of your father, the father of uh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look. Now, at that time, when you went to someone's home, you would take your sandals off. So you have to realize that up until that time, the mountain that he was passing by and he'd have those sheep by, he was doing that for decades. And then this one day he sees this bush burning up and then all of a sudden he hears God's voice and then God tells him, take your sandals off. And what God was saying is, now that I'm here, this bush is burning. Now that I'm here, take your sandals off. And what he was saying is, my presence is now on this bush. That's why it's burning us. My presence is now here. This mountain is my home. Take your sandals off. And he was getting him to see that now you're in my presence. And it was the God that he thought forgot him. For 40 years, him and the Lord haven't been talking. But he says, take your sandals off. I'm here. Miracles are happening now. A bush is burning up now. Why is this bush burning up? Take your sandals off because you're in my home. That's why things are happening. Moses, that's why miracles are happening. Miracles are about to happen for you. Why? No, 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 because you're in my home. You're in my presence. And so he's making him aware of where the power truly lies. Well, then it says in verse 7, Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. I know about their sufferings. I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the territory of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So because the Israelites' cry for help has come to me, I have also seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead the people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Look how many times God says, I've been listening. I've been watching. I'm sending you. I'm about to do this thing. I'm about to rescue my people. I'm about to do a miracle. I'm about to do a work. And here's what God is saying. Remember when he thought that going to the temple of the sun and being a good looking guy and having all that wisdom and being that great guy, he was saying, it's my time. I'm 40 years old and I should be doing something significant. God says, I've been listening. I've been watching. I've been seeing. And now it's my time. It's my time. And when I want to do a work, I am doing it based upon my sovereignty, not your skills. It's my time. And God was going to do a work. God was going to do a work. And our impatience comes because we're fixated too much on the mirror. And we're too consumed by what we see in front of us. And our eyes are not fixated on the Lord. And so God is saying, my time. And what happens? What happened here at Zion? What happened at Bridge Church? What happened, what's happening all across the globe right now is God sees a need on earth. He waits for the right time and then sends the right servant to meet that need in his own time. 
You understand? So that means God doesn't go, let me see your resume. Mm. So, oh, okay, you know them. You're, you've been networking, okay. Like God is not interviewing you. He's preparing you. He's preparing you. God is preparing you. So God, listen, God wants to use you, church. God wants to use you. 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 And God's going to do it in his time. And he'll allow you to be frustrated. He'll allow you to go through a season where you think you're disqualified or not called. He'll allow that. But don't think it's all based on or predicated on you. There's something he's cooking up behind the scenes. He's bigger than us. He's larger than us. His perspective is wider than us. He's got a lot going on. He's God. He's spinning a lot of plates. So it's not based upon you. And that's what we get consumed by. You really think success is about you. About your time. And so... The Bible says in 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, for the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong for those who are wholeheartedly devoted to him. Why did that bush not get consumed? I believe God was giving him a demonstration. God was giving him something to see. In the Bible, oftentimes you'll see like a tree the Bible will say the fruit of the Spirit, and you'll see something produced from them. But sometimes we think fruit gets produced because we work hard, because we're qualified. And yet what God showed here was a bush burning up. But the only reason why that bush was burning up was because it was brittle, dry, dead. And God lit it on fire. And we think God uses the people that are most bountiful, like a big old tree. But church, God doesn't use the bountiful. He uses the burnable. He uses the people that are willing to bring their weaknesses, their deadness, their fears, their brokenness to him. And so that they would know the only reason my life is on fire is because of you. He used, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Well, last thing. Moses asked God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And he answered, I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, who all will worship God at this mountain. And then Moses... Praise God. No, no, that's just my phone. It just goes off after 30 minutes. I got you. I like that. Let's do a little. We'll use that. I'm going to use that. Just Phone just went off. So, um, so what he says is, he says, What's his name? So when the people ask me, like, what's your name? I need to know your name. But understand this. There were 60 different gods that were worshipped in Egypt, and they all had different names. And their names indicated what they were good at. 
So he's like, okay, so what are you good at, God? Because I want my people not to like think you're like weak. So I need to know your name. And so understand this. The Egyptians, guys, name were Osiris, the king of the living. Ra, the god of the sun and radiance. Horus, god of vengeance. Hathor, god, goddess of motherhood. Thoth, god of knowledge and wisdom. What's your name? Like, what are you good at? What's your reputation? What's your reputation? And what God ends up answering is this. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you tell the Israelites. You tell them this. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites. The Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is how I'm remembered. He says, tell them I am sent you. And why did the Lord say I am? Well, when you say I am who I am, the very characters in Hebrew spell out the name Yahweh. And here's what God was trying to say. He is saying, when you look at the repetition there of I am who I am, he is saying I am the only self-existent infinite being in all the universe that has dispatched you. He's saying I am the God who acts. He's saying I am the God with uninterrupted continuance and boundless duration. I am the God that has creative activity and everything I want to do, I do. I am the God that really does what he says. I am will, I will be what I am be. I am the existing one. I cause to be what is to pass. When I was growing up, I grew up in an old black church. They would say he's a doctor in the hospital and he's a lawyer in the courtroom. And what they were trying to say is God is not bound by anything. He's self-existent. There is no, he doesn't need, he's not a one rep kind of God. You can't know him by a certain name. I do what I want. I can't be bound. There is no situation that handcuffs me. I am who I am. You tell them that. They've never heard of a God like that. I'm versatile. Moses answered, what if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord asked, what's in your hand? A staff, he replied. Throw it to the ground, he said. So Moses threw it to the ground. It became a snake and he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretches out his hand. He catches it becomes a staff in his hand. And he says, this will take place. And he continued, so that they will believe that the Lord, the God of the fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. As I close, Moses is holding on to this staff, right? And he's had this staff for 40 years. And he has been in his Midian, his little moment of insignificance for 40 years. Years. Now, for 40 years, he thought he was the guy. But for 40 years, he thought he was forgotten. For 40 years, he thought he was disqualified. For 40 years, he had presumed, God can't use me. For 40 years, he thought, man, I'm just one of these guys. Just, I'm just another shepherd, just tending sheep for 40 years. So what's in my hand? This staff. You know, it's just this staff. I, I use it to sheep. That's what I'm doing. I'm just a shepherd. And God says, give me that staff and I will do miracles with it through you based upon my time, based upon what I want to do.
I'll use that staff. I'll use those years of insignificance and bless them in ways you can't imagine. You ever seen a staff turn into a snake? No, because I'm around. Because I'll use that. And I'll use the years that you thought were insignificant. I'll use the time you thought was wasted. I'll use it. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. It is not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. He has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant. He makes us adequate. Our adequacy is from no one else. God makes you adequate, church. God makes you qualified. God does not, as one preacher said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. God makes you significant. A good friend of mine, he recently, I don't know if you follow on social media, but when you, you're a big deal when you get that blue check, that, that ver, verified. It says you're somebody, you're special. And my buddy hit me up and was like, yo, I got the blue check. You know what I mean? Verified. So next time you see my name on Instagram, and he says, man, things are going great. And I encouraged him. And I said, brother, you were great before you were blue check verified, man. And he was like, nah, but I'm just saying, people know me. I said, God knew you already. And you were verified in Christ before you were verified on Instagram. You are adequate. Now, church, hear what I'm trying to tell you. You are adequate. You are qualified. You are adequate. You are significant. So why is that important? It's important because you're waiting on a significant season. Your significant season is now. It's right now. What do you mean, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? Are you, you know, I have people who in my church right now, they're, they're, they're working at Trader Joe's, but they want to be doing something popping later. And I tell them, you're significant at Trader Joe's now. You, you thought you were going to have an incredible career. You thought you would kids have kids by now. You thought something was different, going to be different. You're significant now. What's in your hand? Because God can turn what's in your hand and make it significant, not because of you, but because of God's presence in your life. What's in your hand? You have been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. Your season is not defined by how many people are watching you. You are qualified. You have been verified. And God, listen to what I'm trying to tell you. You are God's creation. His eyes are on you. Church, he's verified you. He's qualified you. Monday, therefore, matters. Whether you are on a platform seen by millions or you are behind the scenes seen by one, Monday is significant. What's in your hand? Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you right now, would you remind us that our significance comes from you, our qualification comes from you, our strength comes from you. God, we rebuke the evil one right now, God 
that has told us that our lives are insignificant, that our time is insignificant, that our failures have defined us, God. We, we, we realize that some of us are in a moment right now where you are using us and we are seen and we are known, but some of us are in a Midian moment where no one sees us and no one thinks we're useful and no one thinks that we can be used by God and not even me. That when I look in the mirror, I wonder, can you still use me? I've got these addictions and these hangups. Can you still use me? God says, what's in your hand? I want to use you today. You provide the fire. If God can use me like Moses. And I'll provide a sacrifice. In Jesus' name. You provide the spirit, and I will open up inside. Let's sing that again. You provide the fire, and I'll provide the sacrifice. Fill me up, fill me up. 